Excited to be here. I do want to give you a heads up both here in the house and on the live stream. Um, we have brought the live continue to throw things at the team that we have to try to manage and make sure I throw at them. And sometimes it's complicated, and they will do their best today. I know that they will. But uh, there might be some people who might be along through the week today. Uh, we'll be fine. We'll get there. And uh, I want to say also.
Thank you.
Good morning. Jazz, we're, uh, we're coming to the end. This is the final installment, the final leg of our journey through the book of Mark. And uh, I'm, I think it's been good. I mean, we, we have just traveled in the last many weeks, several months, through an entire gospel. And I mean, it's the story. It's the story. And it's so good. And there's so much in it. And... Um, I hope to expand, put a little nice little end cap. Actually, uh, Tracy, uh, Tracy said something this morning during his opening prayer. He said, um, breaking open the word. And I, I don't know if I ever thought of it before. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. But as he said it, I, I got the, the picture of, you know, you got a nice crusty loaf of bread and you break it open. And, you know, it's got that nice little crunch, that snap to it. And then you can pull out that nice, especially when it's warm, that nice, soft, steamy stuff from inside. That's what we're doing. That's what we do every week with the Word. We break it open and hear. And then it's up to you to either take and eat or toss it on the floor. Uh, Maybe you don't like bread. I'm sorry. There's help for you. Um, But we're starting with the book of Mark. Um, Starting with the last few chapters of Mark chapter 16. And uh, this is a little odd. It's a little, we don't really get this because just before chapter 6, verse 9, I'm going 9 through 20, just before verse 9, if you have your Bible with you or an electronic version, you may or may not have a little insert right before chapter 9, verse 9 that reads something like this. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. Verses 9 through 20, which read, all thusly, Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom uh, he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So, 
Some of you will have everything I just read in your Bible. Some of you will not. And some of you will have it, but it'll have a little, little alert message at the beginning saying, not everybody uses this. Here's the breakdown on that. Some ancient manuscripts of Mark's gospel contain these verses and others do not, which presents a puzzle for scholars who specialize in the history of such manuscripts. This longer ending is missing from various old and reliable Greek manuscripts, especially the Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, whatever that is, as well as numerous early Latin, Syriac, Armenian, and Gregorian manuscripts. Early church fathers, for example, Origen and Clement of Alexandria, both in the early 3rd century, did not appear to know of these verses. Eusebius and Jerome state that this section is missing in most manuscripts available at their time. And some manuscripts that contain verses 9 through 20 indicate that older manuscripts lack the section. So in, in the scholarly body of biblical research, there's a whole chunk of stuff out there that says nobody ever used this, nobody knows what it is, we're not putting it in the book. Cool, okay. But then, of course, any field... In human endeavor, when you got somebody who's going to stake out a solid position and say, this is the deal, you're going to have the other guy. And the other guys say, but, on the other hand, some early and many later manuscripts, such as manuscripts known as A, C, and D, much easier than Sinaiticus, <laughs> contain verses 9 through 20. And many church fathers, such as Irenaeus of the mid-2nd century, evidently knew of these verses. As for the verses themselves, they contain various Greek words and expressions uncommon to Mark. And there are stylistic differences as well. Many think this shows 9-20 through 20 to be a later edition. In summary, verses 9-20 through 20 should be read with caution. As in many translations, the editors of the ESV have placed the section within brackets, showing their doubts as to whether it was originally part of what Mark wrote, but also recognizing its long history of acceptance by many in the church. The content of verses 9 through 20 is best explained by reference to other passages in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. Most of its content is found elsewhere, and no point of doctrine is affected by the absence or the presence. With particular reference to verse 18, there is no command to pick up serpents or to drink deadly poison. There is merely a promise of protection as found in other parts of the New Testament. So, yeah, some guys go, I don't know, I don't think it's part of the deal. Other guys going, I don't know, we kind of think it do. And generally, universally across the spectrum, everybody goes, you know what? If you keep it in, you're not adding anything we don't already know. And if you take it out, you're, you're not really doing any damage. You're not taking out anything we don't already know. So, so why, why use it? Why put it in there? Because this. And, and I'm talking on it this morning because it's easy, 
in, in what we do to go, ah, you know what, this is, this is a little gray area, this is a little murky, let's just skip it, let's just not look at it. But you know what, the word is the word, and we have to deal with the word as it's given to us. And here, personally, is why I think it's important to include verses 9 through 20. If you go back to the end of the officially sanctioned part of the 16th chapter of Mark, starting at, say, I don't know, say verse 6, just because. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. So this is the angel talking to the women who have come to the uh, tomb to prepare Jesus' body. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before them to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment has seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The last official part of the story. And it's terrible! That is a terrible place to end the story! I mean, there's no earthly, reasonably intelligent author who writing along goes, you know what, I think that is a great place to end it, right there. No, no, it's not. It's terrible. And so even if it was that somebody, you know, later comes along, does a little editorial rewrite and goes, you know, Mark, oh, you were doing so good up to this point. And then you just sort I mean, you know, if Mark, I don't know, I don't know, if Mark like died, like right there, you know, he's writing along and trembling and they were afraid and, you know, then the ink trails off down the page. Okay, I get it. But still, work needed to be done because that is a bad place to end the story. And I'm going to come back to an even, even more important reason why, but let's go on. There's three points I really want to, I want to give to you, the three chunks of bread I want to pull out and hand over to you today. Not all of them will apply universally to everybody here, but something here will hit everybody here, everybody watching at home. And it's up to you to decide what to do with them. And just for fun, just because I'm that kind of guy, I roll like that, I am going to throw two additional absolutely free bonus points at you. These will apply across the board. We'll get there. So, uh, let's look at nine... Eh, yeah, 9 through 11. Now when he rose early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now we've already had the appearance of an angel telling several women, hey, I don't know what you're looking for. He's back. He's out there. Go tell everybody. Good news. Woohoo! He'll meet everybody in Galilee. So later on, Jesus himself comes to Mary, and it says... They were freaked out. They were afraid. They ran away. They didn't say anything to anyone. Jesus comes back. He's like, Mary, what's up? She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things... He appeared in another form to two of them 
as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. That would be reference to, I'm pretty sure it's the book of Luke, the, um, the Road to Emmaus, which is one of my absolute favorite stories in the Gospels, and I hope to be able to share that sometime in the not-too-distant future. Um, and afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. They have got to be on Jesus' last nerve. Not even last nerve. Jesus, like, went away. He died. He has now come back in an all brand new, like, heaven body. And they are, like, getting on his first brand new nerves. Because one of the recurring themes we see all through the book of Mark is that they are a hard-hearted group who is just unwilling to have faith in what is being presented to them. They were hard-hearted. Who is this guy? What's his deal? I don't know what to make of him. Okay, all right, all right, it's good. We're just starting. I'll work you through this. And so Jesus teaches, and he shows them, and he examples, and he role models, and they're like, maybe he's the Christ. I don't know. Hard-hearted. And then they get to the point where, okay, he's the Christ. He's absolutely the Christ, but he's not the kind of Christ he thinks he is. We'll set him straight. Hard-hearted. And then they're like, okay, you're the Christ. Cool. You be whatever kind of Christ you want to be. Great. I'm going to be the kind of Christ who's going to die and come back. Eh, uh, we're not buying. We can't get on that train. Hard-hearted. Then they're like, okay, all right. Here we are, we're coming into Jerusalem. Finally, they come to the point, he's like, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. They're going to put me in the ground. Then I'm going to come back. He says it flat out. No, he's speaking to children. You know that thing where you have to, you know, you have to get down and you have to look and you look in my face, look at my mouth while I'm saying this. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be dead. They're going to bury me. I'm going to come back. And so... Over the course of time, Jesus is taken by government officials. Jesus is killed. What? How could this be? We had no idea. Jesus is killed. Huh? Jesus is buried in the ground. I'm stunned. I don't know what to make of this. I'm so confused. Hard-hearted. And then, and then, the last part of the story, the very last thing, the very last thing Jesus says is, I'm going to come back you would think by now every single other tiny thing that happened happened the way he said it so when somebody shows up and says hey guys great news jesus is back they would be like he knew it all the time it's just like he said not this group he's back 
You're stupid. Go away. Two other guys out in the country, walking out into the countryside, hanging out with Jesus, talking to Jesus. Jesus is teaching them. Jesus is having a great time with them. They sit down. They start to have a meal. Jesus disappears. Poof. They go running back to town. Guess what? Jesus is back. Shut up. You're stupid. Every single thing all along the way that Jesus said, and he said it as clear as could be, and it all happened just the way he said it was going to happen, and they still refuse to believe because their hearts are so hardened. They are so unwilling to believe. And it's easy for us, you know, it's easy for us to look at them and we can make excuses and we're like, you know what, they didn't, they didn't know the whole deal. They didn't see the whole picture. They didn't have scripture they could study for days and months and years on end. They didn't know how the story was going to turn out. You can't blame them. Sure, okay, I can get on board with that. Problem is, we don't get that same excuse in our hard-heartedness. How many times does the Spirit come to us and attempt to speak with us? And we say, I don't have time for that right now. The Spirit prompts us to say, now would be a great time for, for a, little, a little us time, a little time of prayer, a little time of worship, a little time of abiding. I don't have time for that. You know, you know, I don't know if you know this, but when I created you, I created you with, with the gift to be able to do this thing, this particular form of service in my kingdom. And, and I would like you to, uh, it's not, my schedule's full right now. Sorry to interrupt. There's somebody in your life right now who needs a word from God, and you are the only one that can share that word. Uh, you know what, I'm not really comfortable with that. Uh, you know, yeah, what they need, what they don't need. They might think I'm weird, and I'm just not now with that. So, you know, they'll be fine. They're good. And then there comes a point where we just stop hearing it. And maybe, maybe for a brief moment, we think that's a good thing. We think it's, it's a good thing that God has stopped bothering us. God has stopped trying to get his business in my business. Except, see, in that moment, what you've done is by this consistent pattern of putting off, of rejecting, of not knowing the voice of God, you have come to the place where you just can't hear anymore. Your heart has become so hardened to the word, you can't hear it. And that's when you come to a point in your life where you really need God in your life. And all of a sudden, well, where's God? Well, I can't hear him. Why won't he speak to me? He's speaking just as much as he always has. You've just forgotten. You've lost the ability to hear. And so it's incumbent upon each one of us, every single one of us who claims the name of Christ, who claims to be a believer, who claims to be a follower, we need to regularly be doing a self-check and go, how's my heart? Is my heart growing hardened? And am I finding it increasingly easy to push off God, to put him out of my life, to say, no, not right now? 
because it's a gradual slope there. Once you start that, if you don't stop it right away, you find yourself in a place where you're up, you're down, you're looking around, and you don't know where God is. You don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you want. You don't know what's going on. And you can no longer hear the only one who can tell you. So believer, this morning, what I'm giving to you is check your heart. Is it growing hard? Is it growing cold? All right. Moving on. Verses 14 through 18. Uh, He comes into the... Now, he comes into the room. He appears in the room. His last instruction was, tell them, tell all 11 of them to go to Galilee. I will be waiting. I will be in Galilee. They should come meet me in Galilee. Jesus goes to Galilee because Jesus said, that's where I'll be. He expects the fellows to show up. Nobody goes anywhere. Personal confession, me and you, used to have this really bad habit back in the day, like way back, way back in the day. First got my driver's license, didn't have a car. So do that thing where like, dad's like, you know what? You can drop me off at work. You can take the car to school. Come back and pick me up. 3.30. I'll be done at work. 3.30. Come back and pick me up at 3.30. Because I get done working at 3.30. What time do I get done working? 3.30. What time do I get off work? 3.30. What time are you going to pick me up? 3.30. He gets irritated and irate when I come like rolling in at 4.45. Come on. Give me a break. That's what these guys are doing. He's like, I gave you one simple instruction. Go to Galilee, and now I have had to come and find you. I am not pleased. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and will recover. All right, intermission. Bonus points for everybody. Two, solid, right now. Number one. Don't pick up snakes. Period. Don't pick up snakes. You know what? I'll even bonus the bonus. Don't pick up snakes, bugs, spiders, or whatever the heck a scorpion is. Don't pick. You can, if you get, that's your thing, you can look at them. You can look a bump on the internet. Don't touch them. And flip side, bonus point number two. If there's something in a container before you that you have any remote reason to think may be poisonous or even just not beneficial to the insides of your body, 
don't drink it. Now, certainly, this falls in line with Scripture. Scripture says God has the ability to protect you in all circumstances from all things. If you pick up a snake and it bites you, God can save you. If you find a nice tumbler of uh, antifreeze, uh, one, you need to think about how you live your life. But if you drink that tumbler of antifreeze, God can absolutely protect you from that. Maybe God's attempt to protect you from these things was when he gave you, or maybe forgot to give you, something called common sense. <laughs> so, God gives the gift of common sense. Common sense says, don't pick up the snake, don't drink the antifreeze, bonus points, just leave them alone. Here, this piece of scripture right here is why I think, why I personally prefer to add it and I think it needs to be included. And probably, I would guess, having no basis on which to state this opinion, the editor who added this, this was in their mind, is how do you end the story of Jesus Christ and not include the Great Commission? See, through the last 15, 15 and a half chapters, we have seen Jesus take this group of people and he has taught them. And he has led them. And he has role modeled them. He's shown them. He's taught them. He's told them what the kingdom of heaven is and what it is not. He's taught them how to live in the kingdom of heaven. He's taught them about all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven. And the new life that we get in the kingdom of heaven. He's told them about how living life in God's presence brings us to a place of peace and joy and hope. And nowhere in all of that is the gospel reduced to, hey, so real quick, you should follow Jesus so that when you die, you don't go to hell. If I follow Jesus, I will not go to hell when I die. This is true. That's the fringe benefit. That only kicks in when I die. If the whole gospel is reduced to that, what benefit does the gospel serve me between now and the next 65, 75, 80 years until I die? No, I, I plan to go really long. I, yeah, I'm going to get old. Um, just so you know, a lot of you are going to go before me. A lot of you, you got a lot of years to put up with me. But Jesus says, you know what? Go out to all the world, everywhere. Go everywhere and share my gospel. Share the truth and the reality of my kingdom. Share the truth and reality of a life filled with love and hope and joy and peace. A life in which when all the bad things of the world come at you, you may not be immune to them, but you realize it's a momentary thing. It looks big, but in the scope of eternity, it's just a moment. Go and share this with other people. And when you have taught them everything I taught you, and they understand everything I said, and hopefully they understand better than you did, 
and they have no questions and they have no doubts, then invite them into the kingdom and baptize them. See, teach them everything first and then baptize them. Not scare them with, if you died tonight, would you go to hell? Well, gee, I really don't want to go to hell. What do I do? Say this prayer. Okay, I said the prayer. What do I do now? We should put you in this tank back here and get you wet. Okay, great. What do I do now? Um, we're really not so good at that part. I guess you just sort of wait around to die and not go to hell. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus. It's not the gospel we walked through for the last many, many months. So when you go out and present God's kingdom, present it correctly. And, and the thing is, through all that time, through all the gospel, Jesus, Jesus taught us about life in his kingdom. He said, here's what it looks like. Here's what it feels like. Here's what it does to you. Here's what living in God's kingdom does to you. Here's how it transforms you. But this is the place where Jesus says, now I'm giving you instructions. Now I'm giving you a command. Jesus says, you go out and do this thing. And the you is you, everybody. You see, we, we have this phrase we often, we often label Jesus with, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. It's really easy to say, Lord and Savior. You could say it right now, Lord and Savior. I'm not going to make you. You could. You could think it in your head, Lord and Savior. Real simple. But words mean things. See, if he's your Savior, he's your Lord. If he's your Lord, he's your Savior. We all dig the Savior part. That's the part that keeps us going to hell when we die. We can all get on board with that. But if we accept the Lord, uh, the Savior, we have to accept the Lord. We have to accept that Jesus, as our Lord, exercises authority over our lives. We have to accept that we are subject to Jesus Christ in his kingdom and follow his commands. And what Jesus said is, my instructions to you, child of my kingdom, my servant, is to take this gospel everywhere. Now, some of you, some of me, go, you know what, I'm, I'm trying to see myself like on a, on a street corner, you know, with a Bible, yelling at people, and I, I just don't think I'm built for that sort of thing. Cool, I get you. Me neither. It's weird, I think, I mean, for me, because I'm not built that way. Billy Graham, you know what, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get thousands of people to come to an auditorium to hear me share the gospel and have it be good. I just don't think I'm built that way. No, I got you. I, um, I really don't think Jesus wants me to go to Africa and be a missionary. Right there, brother, sister. All these things people are specifically built for. You might not be built to do those things. Doesn't get you off the hook. There are still people in your life that only you can share the gospel with. You have the entire village of around your dining room table. All those people, 
are in your circle. They are in your bubble. And if there's anyone that gathers with you at mealtime who doesn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're the ones he wants you to go and share it with. If you have or maybe someday return to a workplace in person with other human beings, they are your proof. There will be people there who need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is certainly possible that in that environment, you and only you are the one available and capable of sharing the gospel with them. So you may not have been built to be a missionary. You were not not built to share the gospel. That's why Jesus gives the instruction. So, check your heart. Are you still hearing from God? No? Mm. Are you responding when you do? Eh. You hear from him all the time, and you have great conversations together, and he tells such good jokes. Right in the pocket. That's just where you need to be. Have you shared the gospel? More importantly, is there somebody that the Spirit is telling you you need to share the gospel with? And it, it'll be a phase. It'll be staged. It might take a long time before you get to the point where you say, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. It's a marathon, people. Not everybody you know is ready for that, the first conversation. The last thing. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the messages by accompanying signs. Signs. God proved that what they did was of him because there were signs and wonders. I will never dismiss miracles. I have, you know, I've seen in my own life miracles. Not, you know, like burning bush, parting the Red Sea miracles. I mean, they, they were much smaller, much more modest, you know, kind of intended for an audience of one sort of thing. But I've seen them. And so Jesus says, Scripture tells us, when you are about the work of God, he will confirm your work is from him by signs and wonders. Maybe. You are the sign. Maybe you, in your life, is the confirmation of the message you're spreading. When, when you go to somebody and they go, you know what? You just came out of this really, like, crazy period in your life, and yet you were so peaceful. What was that about? That is a sign that confirms God's work in you. You know, when we were in, uh, we were at the office the other day, and that guy said that thing to you, and, I mean, if it had been me, I would have wanted to smack him, but you just, you didn't even respond you didn't even try to get even. That's, 
That's weird. That's a sign that confirms what God is doing in you. You know, I, I know you were in a period of things were bad and, and your heart was broken, but all I could see was joy. And that's weird. How do you do that? That's a sign that confirms God's work in you. You are your own sign of God's miraculous workings. You are the billboard of the truth of God's kingdom. When, when you share the gospel, you share the gospel of, well, you won't go to hell when you die. What, where's the stamp you put on that? Where's, where's the thing you can go, here's how you know my word is good. Here's how you know this is true. But when you say, you know, I found in God's kingdom that there's a sense of peace I've just never found anywhere else. And as, as a matter of fact, it was present in my life when this. You know, I, I found that by following Jesus, there's a joy in my heart that just nothing can seem to impact that. Oh, you know, it reminds me of this time when just this was going on, but man, it just couldn't take away my joy. You know, Jesus is all about love, and his love comes into me and allows me to share that love with other people. And there was this time, there was this guy, and oh man, this guy, but, but I had so much love for him. And I shared that love with him because God allowed me to share that love. And, and now he's one of my closest friends. You are the sign that confirms the word you share. These are the three words that God gives you today. Check your heart. Share the gospel. And don't dismiss the miracle that you are. It's easy to look at ourselves and, and we, can, we can look at where we are and, and how far we have to go and, you know, the mess-ups and the things that went wrong and I shouldn't have thought that thing, I shouldn't have done that thing, I shouldn't have said that thing. Oh, I have, I have so far to go. But you know what? It's just as easy to turn around and look and say, you know what? Where I started at, Way back over here, I am so much different. And if the reality of God's kingdom in you is true, other people around you will see that change. And they can argue scripture all day long, and they can say, well, what about this? What about that? What about the other? They can't deny the reality of what they see in you. So that's what I give you. That's what I leave with you today. And it's up to you to decide how you will respond. Are you happy with your heart being hardened? Are you happy with your heart growing colder? Are you content with the possibility that God is saying, there's somebody I need you to go to now? And you're just going to say no? Is the proof of God's work evident in your life?
evident to you and evident to others. And if that group of statements right there leaves you feeling discouraged rather than lifted up, God can do something about that too. But you got to be willing to turn that heart over to him and go, your Lord, do with it, do with me what you will, and then do it. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for worship. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your ongoing, never-ending, exceedingly patient presence in our lives. I pray, Father, that none of us would leave this place without having heard a word from you. And I pray in Jesus' name that each one of us who heard something from you would be faithful and obedient and diligent to react to that and to not put it away and not to put it off and not to reject it. Help us this day to be just, to to make the choice to be just a little closer. A little closer to you and a little bit more like you. Because that's what we're here for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.